Well, good morning and welcome to our service this morning. And we're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 11. And I'd like to read from verse 1 through to verse 26. If you have your Bibles ready, let's read together. Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied to a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that colt. They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because of the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now we ask God to ask his, add his blessing to that reading, and just before we look at it, let's come before him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. We, we've probably read it before and are very familiar with it. But our Father, we ask you that you might bring that freshness to us this morning as we look at it again 
and as we see something more of the beauty of what is happening here. And our Father, we lean upon the power of your Holy Spirit to lead us through this. And our Father, we bring these things before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, so to this passage in Mark chapter 11. But first of all, the disciples knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the rightful King of Israel, the promised Deliverer. They expected him to be enthroned within their lifetime. They expected to be seated with him, sharing in his glory. One on his left and one on his right. They had been told that things would come to a head in Jerusalem. Jesus had told them that he would be arrested and killed, but they couldn't perceive how that could possibly happen to him. But like Bartimaeus, the passage we looked at last week, they needed their eyes to be opened. They would see Jesus hailed as king by the people of Jerusalem, but in a week of this happening, they would see Jesus arrested by the Jews, handed over to the Romans, and they would see it with a crown, a crown of thorns on his head as he hung on a cross, where they, the disciples, would see him die. Little wonder that after the death of Jesus, they went into hiding, filled with fear and confusion. Jesus had told them that this is what would happen. His words were true, but they could not see it. And because they could not see it, they could not believe The Lord of Moses and the words of the prophets spoke of the Messiah and of what would happen to him. But they couldn't see it, so they couldn't believe it. With these things in mind, let us go forward uh, to something that happened just after the death of Jesus, when two of his disciples left Jerusalem and headed home, feeling sad, feeling confused and disappointed by what they had just seen, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus. They didn't know that at this point Jesus had risen. They met a stranger on the road. They told him about what had just happened in Jerusalem. Then he said this to them. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, that stranger they met was Jesus, and they didn't realize it at this point. They did later. But at that point, like Bartimaeus, they needed their eyes to be open. You can read that account in Luke chapter 24, verse 20, uh, Luke 24, verse 25 through verse, to verse 27. It's the two on the road to Emmaus. So back to our chapter for this morning in Mark chapter 11. And I want us to see that the disciples at this point, they could not see because their eyes were not open to the truth of the things Jesus had been saying or the truth of Scripture that they would have known about and learned when they were younger and even through their adult life. 
If our eyes are not open to seeing who Jesus really is, how can we believe? Chapter 11, verse 1 to 3. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphang and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. Jerusalem, the royal city. Bethphage. Apparently this word means the house of unriped figs. Keep that thought in mind. Bethphage is, is apparently just over a mile from Bethany. And the name Bethany means house of sorrows. Now the fact that Jesus had given instructions to his disciples telling them where to go what they would find when they got there, and what to say to anybody who spoke to them while they were there, suggests that these arrangements had been made without their knowledge. The cult which no one had ridden. What is the significance of this? Well, apparently in the, that day it was tradition that no one other than the king was allowed to ride his horse or his donkey. If they were question they were to say the Lord needs it. Now I understand that the word that Mark uses here means more than just the master. The word means it's the one who has the rights that a king possesses. The right to commandeer any animal that he required. And Jesus commandeered this donkey. We said at the beginning that this was prophecy being fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9, we read these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fall of a donkey. Zechariah wrote this some 500 years before this event. This was what he was saying would happen. We can go back even further into the scriptures. We can go back as far as Genesis 49, verse 8 to 12. And we, as a church, have been looking at this when we looked at the life of Joseph. And we came to the part where Jacob was about to die and he was blessing his children. And he went through each of his children with the blessing that he had for them. And when he came to Judah, now Judah is the line chosen through which the Messiah would come. All the kings of Judah were of Judah. That is, when the nation of Israel was split into two separate kingdoms. It became the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. Judah, And all the kings carried on through the tribe of Judah, as was David. And part of the promise or the blessing that Jacob gave to Joseph was this. And you can read that blessing in Genesis 49, 49 verse 8 through to 12. But in that text, part of it is this. 
He said to Judah, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. That means that your line will be the line, the family, through which the Messiah will come. And you will be the royal family. Further down in that transcript, he said that, and he's speaking again of Judah, Judah, he will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. And here we have Jesus of the line of Judah on a donkey, entering as king into Jerusalem. Now what Jesus had said to the disciples when he gave them those instructions happened in verse 4 through to verse 6 of chapter 11 of Mark. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them. And the people let them go. What the prophet had said to them, had also happened. And we come to verse 7 to 10 because what the prophet said has happened is going to continue to happen. And we read this in verse 7 to 10. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. I don't know about you, but I can imagine the disciples being filled with excitement and, and, and anticipation as they take off their coats and put them onto this donkey that's just been brought in to their presence. And they make a saddle for Jesus to sit on the animal. And I'm sure that they were impressed by the way this unbroken animal that had never been ridden submitted calmly to everything that was happening. And then the disciples would have been encouraged by the reception they had from the crowd. And not only from the reception and and reaction, but by the song that they sang. Hosanna. Now, Hosanna, the word means save us now. So they were singing, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, save us now in the highest heaven. I wonder if this is the uh, forerunner for the um, red carpets that we see rolled out every time there seems to be a a special event, a special occasion, and people arrive just beforehand and lay down these red carpets. Well, I think it was more of a tradition in those days for those who were kings. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse the end of verse 12 and verse 13, and again, this is many years before Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, And Jehu, who was about to be king, and he was asked uh, about this. And Jehu said, here is what he told me. Now he's talking about God here. This is what God told him. Jehu said, here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. 
So back to Mark chapter 11, the king of Israel enters Jerusalem riding on a donkey that has been commandeered, that has never been ridden by anyone else other than the one who is sitting on it now. And he enters the royal city on a carpet of garments laid out in his path, heralded heralded by the people as they sing about the king who will save them now, as he is the rightful heir to the kingdom of their father, David. Wow, what a builder for the disciples. Wow, what a great fall that is ahead of them. Verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. I want us to pause for a moment as we consider this verse and as we see that the, the, the destination of Jesus on this occasion was not just Jerusalem. That was the city. But his destination was the temple that was in the city. The temple that was to be the place where God dwelt with his people. Now Mark tells us that that particular day it was late, so they went back to Bethany with the twelve. And then in verse 12 to 19, we have the events of the following day. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. This reference to the fig tree can be quite a puzzle, but let's look at it in the context of what we hear from Mark and listen to what Mark says. We know the day before Jesus had entered Jerusalem as king, the right person in the right place, the one who is God, was in his temple. He is now on his way back to the temple and he knows what he will find and he knows what he's going to do on this occasion. Now the disciples have no idea what he will do and Jesus knows that when they see him do what he's going to do they won't understand why he's done it. We read that as Jesus approached this, this fig tree, that he was hungry. Okay. We have to think about this. Hungry for what? Who is Jesus? This is the one who, after spending 40 days without food, could say to Satan, Satan who was tempting him to turn stones into bread to feed his hunger... Jesus turned to Satan and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is not a hunger for some food to eat. This was a hunger for the words of God to be heard by his people. 
What did he go to see as he approached this fig tree? A fig tree in leaf? Yes. He went to find out if it had any fruit? Yes. But he knew it was not the season for figs. So what fruit could he find on a fig tree that was not yet ready to bear fruit? The season for the fruits because of the time of Passover, we know that the season from this point would be in another six weeks' time. That would be before the actual figs came. But there's other information uh, we can learn about this and apparently at this stage of growth if the tree had leaves you would expect to find a crop of small knobs they were not the real figs but they were a, an early forerunner to the fig and in Palestinian Arabic they have a name now I can't pronounce this name I'll say Tawish it's pronounced or spelled T-A-Q-S-H. And they are little edible knobs that would have been eaten by peasants. If the leaves appear without this tagwish, then them not being there on this fig tree that's full of leaf was a sign that there will no figs isn't that interesting and doesn't that make sense he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs then he said to the tree may no one ever eat fruit from you again and his disciples heard him say it Writing on this passage, the commentator F.F. Bruce refers to the cursing of the fig tree as a real-life parable. And this, I believe, is what it is. Well, just for the moment, we're going to leave that. Mark is going to take us away from this and he's going to move us on, leaving us with the memory of Jesus cursing the fig tree for no other apparent reason than that he expected to find fruit and he didn't find fruit. Is this just a case of what some people call righteous indignation? Well, Mark will return to this a little bit later. But in the meantime, verse 15 through to 19, this is what we read. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Now, first of all, remember, that is telling us that what Jesus did, he not only did it, he told the crowds why he did it and referred to other teachings that they should have known about as to why he did it. Anyway, the court of the Gentiles was as far as the Gentiles could go into the temple. 
It was meant to be a place where none other than the Jews could gather, uh, where non-Jews, excuse me, that was to be a place where non-Jews could gather and they could gather to witness the greatness of the God of Israel and to see the respect that his people had for him as they came together to worship him. But it had become a marketplace for the selling of sacrificial animals to be sold at exaggerated rates, mainly to Jews who had travelled too far a distance for them to be able to bring their own animals. You know, Josephus, the Jewish historian of the time, he tells us that in AD 66, that was four years before the temple was destroyed by the Romans, he said in AD 66, 2,500... 255,000, so that's 255,000 sacrificial lambs were killed at Passover time. That was a big area. There would have been a lot of people there and a lot going on. And here Jesus clears the temple as he reminds them is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. These are the words of Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7. You could read these and they were written a long time before this happened. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. The burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted by my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Back to Mark, chapter 11, verse 20 and 21. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. This is Peter who we've already reminded ourselves is the one who is relating these things from Mark so that Mark could write them down for us. And it was Peter on returning from Jerusalem who was the first to witness what had happened when he noticed that the fig tree was dead, completely dead. What had Peter seen during this time? Peter had seen prophecy fulfilled. He'd seen Jesus entering the temple hailed as king. The future looks bright, the leaves are green, and everything is full of promise. Jesus entered the temple again, and this time he cleansed it. And then he goes out of the temple, he leaves the temple, and the plant that had green leaves, but it had no signs of fruit. And that's what Jesus saw. There were green leaves but no signs of fruit. This is the hypocrisy that he witnessed in the temple that caused him to overturn the tables. And this plant is dead, and this plant will no longer bear any fruit. Over this period in Mark chapter 11, the glory had entered the temple and God's glory had left the temple and had ascended up to Mount Olives. Now, I'll leave that with you to look at because there's a lot more prophecy being fulfilled there just in the very fact that Jesus 
who is God, entered the temple, left the temple, and ascended up the Mount of Olives. Peter would eventually see the temple curtain rip from the top to the bottom. And in AD 70, the temple itself would be completely destroyed. John 2 verse 19. This is one, what he said, what Jesus said to his disciples when they at one point were admiring the beauty of the temple and he said to them, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. In verse 21 of that passage, we're told, but the temple that he had spoken of was his body. He was speaking of him being the temple. And that that temple, which was him, would be destroyed and then would be built up again within three days. That was his death and his resurrection. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. Matthew 12, verse 6. And this is what Jesus said again. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. The lesson of the fig tree is the meat in the sandwich between these two visits that Jesus made to the temple over that time. The temple was to be the house of prayer where God dwelt. Let's go to Corinthians as we finish. It is a long passage that we've been through and I felt that we should complete it this morning to see it all in one hit. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 to 20 Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. The temple in Jerusalem was the place where God was to dwell and it was to be a house of prayer. We've just read in Corinthians that we are the house where God dwells and we are to be a house of prayer. And I'll just read to finish these verses that our passage finishes with Mark eleven twenty two to 25 and I think you will see the relevance of this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He doesn't give any explanation for the fig tree but I'm sure they worked it out. And you can see the link here. He says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their hearts, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. What he was saying to them, and this is the lesson they would learn from this, you are to be my house of prayer, and this is how you should pray. And I, Jesus, I am the temple. So we pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that this can be a passage that we're familiar with, but it can also be one that is sometimes difficult to understand. 
And Father, we just acknowledge before you our own weaknesses, but we lean upon the power of your Holy Spirit that he might speak to us through it, that he might show us the truths here that we can take away with us. And our Father, we just ask your continued blessing upon us now because we ask it in the precious and worthy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.